You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning, First Christian Church. It is so good to get to be thankful together, to worship and praise God together, to share the burdens of our hearts together. Well, I don't know about you, but occasionally I will complain. Is that maybe an understatement? Occasionally I'm pretty good at complaining. And there's this thing that occasionally will happen to me when I am complaining, is that I will realize in whose presence I'm complaining. Now think about this. The context of who you're complaining to occasionally matters. It shouldn't. It really shouldn't, but it does. So you find yourself possibly complaining about uh, your job or that it's not going well. And then it dawns on you who you're complaining to. The person doesn't have a job. They're unemployed. Or maybe you're serving in a soup kitchen. You're providing food to a lot of people who need food. And you ask them something like this. Now, where do you live? And as the words are leaving your lips, you're realizing that this person doesn't have a home. Right? They're they're seeking a meal because they need a meal and they don't even have shelter over them. Have you been in these embarrassing circumstances where you find yourself complaining and you realize the person that you're complaining to and the whole context shifts Perhaps it's happened in a more simple instance when you're complaining to the wait staff about the taste of your food or the warmth of your food. And maybe you really get huffy about it. And then you think about it and you realize this is probably a single mom. And you see that she's covering a whole lot of tables, probably covering somebody else's shift who couldn't make it. And the complaint about the warmth or the taste of your food takes on a new context. Now those are varying levels of embarrassment of of the kinds of conversations that sometimes we have where we complain and we realize where it is we're actually complaining. Because we've lost a sense of context. We've lost a sense of the frame of where things are. If you would, please stand and let's listen to the words of a psalm. This is Psalm 105. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I'm just going to read the first few verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wonderful works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord. Seek His strength. Seek the presence of God continually. Remember the wonderful works that He has done. His miracles. The judgments He has uttered. O offspring of His servant Abraham. O children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He's mindful of His covenant forever of the word that he commanded to a thousand generations. The word of the Lord from Psalm 105. 
You may be seated. You know, I look at this passage, and I just made a list as you, as you glance at these words on the front end. Call on the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Make known. Sing. Tell. Glory in His name. And let the hearts of those that seek God rejoice. I mean, that's at least seven different ways of expressing our thanksgiving and our joy and our singing through telling. On and on it goes. And there's kind of a little turn there where the hearts of those who seek the Lord are to rejoice. If you look in verse 4, there a collection of three things. Seek the Lord. Seek His strength. Seek His presence continually. And it doesn't stop there. This seeking of God, this seeking of the presence and the strength of God, turns into a memory game, a a recounting, a retelling. And then there's this string of remembering the work of God, remembering the miracles of God, and remembering the deeds of God. Now, this psalm in particular is one that does just that. A lot of celebrating the greatness of God by remembering the things that God has done. And I didn't go into reading all of the things that that are the breadth and the length of this psalm. I wanted to dwell and sit in the front part here before he jumps into the history of his covenant of seeking out this group of people, us of choosing to bless the world through this Hebrew people in a way that blesses us. I've told you before that when it comes to music, I find myself caught up initially in the sound, in the blending of voices, in in the harmonies, in the instruments that come together. And over the long haul, it's the words that, that begin to burrow and bury themselves on my heart. And the music then stirs me and prompts me into recall recall and recount those words. And those words stick with me. So the words better be meaningful, and in this case they really are. They push us towards this poetic understanding of God's greatness and God's goodness. And as I look and I just see just those verses, those eight verses on the front end, I am struck by three things. The constant level of praise. It is constant. The ability to be concrete in the actions of God. And the regular seeking of God with our very lives. Those three three things stick out to me. Just being completely given to God in praise, seeking God concretely in His deeds, and being a person that constantly seeks God through my own practice. Well, I don't really know how your week has gone or how your Labor Day weekend has gone. Perhaps that givenness to rejoicing and praise is coming easy to you this weekend. Yeah, 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 I can do, I can definitely sing God's praises. I can recount God's good deeds. Maybe that's coming to you very easily this weekend. I hope so. I hope that's the case. It could be that this is a week that's a little more difficult. Maybe that calling upon the graciousness of God is coming a little more difficult. 
through tears. I mean, even as we hear the prayer requests that were shared, we, our hearts just can't help but break to hear what our families have been through just this week. It's hard. Two funerals in a week? No, that's not what should happen. The loss of a child? No, no. And so it could be that for this week and this weekend, that's coming to you in a strained way, through tears, through suffering. It could even be that that's just something you don't even want to be involved in. You hear all this praise, and you're at a point where you're like, I just don't know. God, where are you? And it could be that it's just an outright struggle. I'm not going to do it. God, I'm a little frustrated. Well, the good news that I have for you today is, as we look at this psalm, I hope to have something to say wherever we're at. Wherever you might find yourself, easily given to praise, doing that praise through strained tears, or even wondering if it's even worth it at all. In this time, some folks will hear the passages that we just read. They'll hear it as just kind of a Christianity that they're not interested in. You know, it's a little too earnest. It's a little too praiseworthy because look at the realities of what all we're going through. And it's sometimes possible for these to sound hollow or even airheaded or that these people are just living in the clouds. But I want you to know that this psalm is not one that's about denying suffering. Even as it recounts the good things that God has done in this highlight reel that would be like three trilogies of movies where you see a music video that has scenes from each one, doesn't tell the full story of each one, but it's enough to remind you of what has happened. This psalm is coming to us really in the midst of some difficult things. If you look at the story as it's recounted, almost like a history lesson through the rest of this psalm, you get snippets like, like Moses. Moses being a part of afflicting the plagues from God upon Egypt, which was painful and difficult, and a reminder that God's people were in slavery. Or what about the very graphic description of Joseph? as not just being a slave, but being a slave with an iron collar around his neck. That's not a clip that we want to see. That's not what we want to remember. But there it is, right there in the song. Or what about the reference to God's people being a tiny little group that almost gets wiped out, and for whatever reason, God keeps them from being destroyed? Well, I guess that could be good, unless you're just like, Get it over with already. There's too much suffering, too much to go through. Let's end it now. Slavery and abuse and oppression. Maybe it's only safe to mention these things in a psalm like this because they're in the past. Because there's just enough distance from them where we can verbalize them and say the name of Joseph or the name of Moses or to talk about the people of Israel being small. Well, this triggered something for me. It's got me thinking. You know, it's easy to sometimes get frustrated whenever God's goodness is not quite apparent. And so, how is it possible for this to be a psalm of praise and gratitude and thanksgiving in so many ways to God when it may not be that easy? 
And I, I got to thinking about my own life, and maybe this is true for you, maybe it's not. But whenever the littlest things inconvenience me, sometimes I find myself frustrated. Just little things. And it's those times when I've lost a sense of context of the goodness that is in my life. We forget of how accessible things are to us in this country. And so we begin to complain. We think maybe we deserve things to be a little easier. That maybe it shouldn't be so hard with this particular person or with this landlord or with this bill payer. And then I just got to wondering, well, where does that come from? Why, why do I think that I deserve to live this life free of any problems? You know, we're, we're in a place where frustration kind of overwhelms us. We're tired of masks. We're tired of restrictions. We're tired of the impact of this or that. So what is it about it that makes us feel inconvenience? And I think deep down it's probably because I've got a life that's been pretty well blessed. I don't know if I want to call it white privilege, but occasionally that is the case. There's a lot of benefits that I've received because of things that my family has been blessed to give me through education, through a safe place to live, right? So maybe it's possible that I just have had such a good life that these frustrations poke a little more deeply. Well, then I got to thinking a little more fully about this passage and this group of people. Often we talk about the people of Israel and there's this emphasis on the covenant. And so I got to thinking about when were the, the really good glory years for the people of Israel? When were those? Because there's so much talk in Scripture that points to God's covenant being revealed. And there's a lot of places where it's pointed back to that, oh, if only we could go back to the way things were. And so I kind of got to thinking, and you can... You might have a different perspective on it, but I think the glory years for the people of Israel were those three kings. For sure David and Solomon, but throw in Saul as well. That's when things were going really well. Now, if you add them together, Saul's reign was probably 20, maybe 25 years. David's reign, 40 years. Solomon's reign, 40 years. So if we're really generous and add those up, that's about a hundred years of glory years before they become a divided kingdom. And must, you must throw in that this is in a time when the rest of the world might not have even known that they existed. They're just kind of a blip on the scene of history. But that's the glory years. Those are the ones that everyone is looking back to. Years that changed the world. Years that changed the way that we think about God and the way that we serve God. And so my mind kept turning and spinning, and I realized that most of these songs, most of these stories, most of these statements about who God is and what God is about, that looked forward to or looked backward to, most of these prophecies and preaching, they were done during times that were not all that good. These words were sung the words were preached and proclaimed during difficult times. And that's, that's something of, an, of a shock, of a reminder. Whenever we ask, where is God when it's difficult, and we look at a psalm like this that's talking about rejoicing and praising and glorifying, and, tell, and we think, oh, they just must, everything must be going well for them. 
when the truth of the matter is, for the most part, things are not always going well. A welcome to 2020, right? Our year of lots of grousing and complaining. Our year of looking at all the different obstacles that have been thrown at us that are significant and real and strong. But when it comes down to it, a lot of our needs, a lot of the things that we must have, are the same. What we share in common is the same. Now, I know a lot of us will think that what's most important right now is the economy, or the election, or whatever we want to do to fill in the blank, that sports start again, that we get to stop wearing masks, that, oh, we've got all these characters that are in leadership. I know there are all these things that we think are important, that we hope we'll able to, to win or, or get our own way. But when it comes down to it, what we most need is for a sense of fairness. When it comes down to it, what people need is a place to live, a home. To have food and drink to eat. To be able to work a job that they can support their family. Right? I mean, these are basic, simple things that we can take our kids and invest our kids in education, that their minds will grow. Having a place to live, being able to work a job, having food and drink, having education, these are basic things. You know, last, last week when we buried another World War II veteran, dear elder of this church, Dick Stansberry, I'm constantly reminded of that generation, often thought of as the greatest generation, and I think for good measure. When that generation came back from the war, they had seen death and destruction, chemicals, explosions, they'd seen horrors. And when they came back, they said, this is not the way the world ought to be. And perhaps you remember that in 1948, they wrote out a declaration of human rights, trying to pull not just one country together, because they had to piece the world back together, and they didn't want to have another world war. And so there are 30 articles, a declaration of human rights, that are pretty good. And even today, these things continue to shape and pull countries together and pull people together. The sustainable goals right now, there's 17 of them, and the first four or five are basically what I just said, that there will be no hunger, people will be able to have food, jobs, that there will be no inequity in pay between people of different races or genders, right? There's a lot about this that really is significant and valuable, basic human rights. And what I find, and maybe you found this as well, is that I find that when people have faced difficult things, they're often some of the best folks around. Poor people can be some of the most generous. Kids that have faced difficulties and hardships are some of the most willing to help out, some of the most honorable. And I've been talking to Nathan and Lizzie a lot lately as we look at what all is being thrown at this generation in terms of wars where you don't know who the enemy is, terrorism, uh, things like coronavirus. And you know what my hunch is? We're raising up another greatest generation where these difficulties and these obstacles do not 
need to be something that brings us down and tears us down, but they can be building blocks. Building blocks of leaning significantly on the strength of God. Because that's what really matters. If you want to know about our basic human right, if you want to go back to our true glory years, it's always when we are resiliently focused in upon God. I think as I look at this psalm, praising God is to become the orientation of our life. It's not something that we do once a week. It's not something that we do for just one little moment to begin our day. It's an orientation of our lives. When our eyes first pop open in the morning, and we haven't even gotten out of bed and we begin to feel those pains, where do we groan? Well, what if we turn that groan into praise that we've got a body, and we've got legs that hurt, and we've got things that body parts that are aching and in need of help? How is it that we turn those pains into praise? To praise for the life's difficulties that come our way. You see, with these glory years that we've been reading about, the praises that have been offered, I don't know that it was meant for us constantly to be looking forward to some glory era or looking backward longingly to some glory thing of the past but for us to be in the present. I think even in this passage, as the covenant promises of God are offered, it's not just about a promise of a land, place of safety. It's not just about a promise of a temple. It's not just about a promise of God giving them something that puts them over other people. What God's calling us into is lordship where we are at home with God, whatever we face. And I think that changes the way we talk to one another. It changes the way we talk about one another. It changes our sense of caring for others. It helps us to relate to one another in some different ways. To understand that everyone, no matter how different they look from us, no matter even if we could communicate with them because they speak a different language or have a different religion, Every one of those folks is a child of God and is worthy of our showing them that they're children of God. You see, God is not calling us onward to some other place. God is wanting to set up shop inside of us as individuals, as a group, where we can be at home with God wherever we are and whatever we are facing. And that turns Christianity from what we sometimes manipulate it into being, where Christianity is this series of stances that we take of how we must defend God, as if God really needs that. Christianity is not so much these stances, but it is an action, an action of praise and love towards other people, where they look at us and they don't understand why we are acting with them with the kind of love and care that we are, that we care what, who they are and what they are becoming because we know that God has made them as a child of God and God wants to welcome, welcome himself into their lives to set up shop inside of them. And that's where celebration and praise become so important. So important for us not to get drugged down into the muck 
Christians are not meant to be joyless, defeated, lifeless people. We're people who know who we are. We're people who know that God loves us and that God wants to live in us. That's good news. We're people whose debts have been wiped out, canceled, set free. And that's the kind of news that's worthy of being shared, of being offered to other people. Richard Foster is a Quaker, and he's written a lot about spirituality. He's still living, and long ago I read his book, Celebration of Discipline. But it wasn't until I met Richard that I really understood the first word of that book, Celebration. It's the first word of the title, it's the first word of the book, and it's the very last chapter. This guy exudes joy. Like, I would not be at all surprised for him to do some kind of a backflip. He's quite a bit older now. I don't think he'd do a backflip. But the joy of the Lord is certainly his strength. It's what he's relying upon. And one of the things that he said in that closing chapter that's always stuck with me, that's a good reminder for me, is that the practice of joy and the practice of celebration is very important so that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Ah, that, that's kind of the sandpit that I often find myself in. Taking myself too seriously, to get things too together, to be right, to have all of our views lined out, to have a perfect plan, take myself a little too seriously. Kind of edge out God in order to construct my own plan. Try to help God out a bit. This idea of celebration allows me to take my mistakes, allows me to take my sins, my foibles, those things that are not so great about me, and be like, you know, God still likes me anyway. And to be able to offer that mercy and to offer that grace to other people, that's a sand pit that's worth climbing out of. And that's what the world needs to see right now, is Christians that are overcome with joy where it can't help but flood out of them. And I'm not talking about a lollipop kind of Christianity that's so sick you just get a stomachache. I'm talking about Christians who are able to sing this song, sing it in the midst of the realities and the difficulties of this life, who face real life and they do so with praise. Last week when we talked about kind of the negative assessment that we'll lay on ourselves, and that negative assessment that we'll sometimes project on ourselves, we have a choice to make about whether or not we're going to take God's assessment of who we are. That God sees you as worthy. And God sees you as one that he loves as a child of his. Beautiful, worthy, enough. And God invites us into a relationship with him where we don't complain, where we don't grouse, but where we are joining with God in prayer in every moment of our day. We'll close by looking at one verse of this psalm one last time, just as a motivator for us to think about how we can keep alert to God's presence. Because we have to. We have to think about what this looks like for our families and our household. If we're not intentional about it, we'll slip back into complaining. This verse is verse 4. And in this verse 4, I think by seeking the presence of God, we'll become a group that listens to one another. 
will become a group that welcomes all generations. Because there's things to be learned from the old, from the young, and everywhere in between. Verse 4. Seek the Lord and seek His strength. Seek His presence continually. May we thank God and may we live in His grace and praise today. Let's bow. God, thank You for the ways that You bless us and look after us. Thank You for making Your face to shine on us. Even though we're not perfect. And even though we make poor choices. Father, thank You for the forgiveness that we find in Jesus' name. Thank You that we can come to this table as, as a confessing people. Confessing our unworthiness because we're giving You the glory. God, forgive us when we try to displace You. And may we lift You up to the head of the table. Thank You for welcoming us here. The presence of Jesus filling us with Your Spirit. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.